The Pre-Paces podcast is brought to you by two brilliant sponsors. Paces Ahead is a fantastic four-day face-to-face paces course run in Brentford, London. They bring you a whole host of patients with fascinating stories and reliable signs, and these patients are absolutely delighted to allow you to hone your exam skills prior to exam day. Some of the patients actually are used in the exams themselves, and the next courses are running from the 20th to the 23rd of May, and then I will be helping out on the course running on the 28th to the 31st of May. Please do come and say hello. I'd love to have a chat and hopefully help you on your way to passing your paces. But if you can't make the course for whatever reason, our other sponsor, Pass Test, has got you covered with their market-leading online revision resource. There are tons of videos which help you revise from the comfort of your own home. And most listeners that I've spoken to have said this is equally essential for your paces success. But that's enough for me for now. Let's get into this week's episode of the Pre-Paces Podcast. Welcome back, listeners. It's Sam here again with another brilliant episode. This time we tackle all things skin in paces with our resident dermatology reg, Dr. Naomi Jones, who is a fantastic sport, particularly with the return of reg against the machine. Before we recorded, I basically had only mentioned it to Naomi once, and so she was slightly caught off guard with the topic, but even so, she was a fantastic sport with the quiz, as well as with all the fantastic knowledge she imparted through the episode on all things derm. Before we get to the coffee buying legends this week, I want to thank those of you who've emailed in with your experiences of the new Paces format. Remember, if you've sat your Paces within this diet, please get in touch with the show. Let me know how it goes. You can do that via the email, prepacespodcast at gmail.com or via the Twitter at prepacespodcast. Let me know how it went and any reflections you had after the exam. I'm really interested to find out how people have found the new format. But now, the coffee buying heroes this week Thank you to Nick Rowe, who donated and sent along some kind words in a follow-up email. Thank you to Hafiz Gawala, who found the podcast helpful in passing their FRACP clinical exam in Australia. And final thank you goes to Katie Edwards, who donated the day after she sat her paces. We've got everything crossed for you, Katie. Best of luck for the results. But right now, let's get into my chat on all things dermatology. Welcome to the Pre-Paces Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sam Williams, and this week we're covering something which might be seen as a potential curveball in your Paces station, uh, but we're covering it in a very broad brushstrokes fashion, and that is approaching a dermatological problem in Paces. Joining us today is an ST6 registrar in dermatology. We are delighted to be joined by Dr. Naomi Jones. Naomi is a trainee in the West Midlands Deanery, and she's been so kind to give up some of her evening to help us on the show. So, Naomi, welcome. Oh, thanks very much. Nice to, nice to be here. So, Naomi, this isn't the, the first thing that our listeners might look at before they uh, come to their exam day, but dermatology is very important in paces because it can permeate pretty much any of the stations which the listeners might see on, on their exam rotation. So it's really important because it might come into any of the particular stations, mightn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I think in that sense, it's a bit of an easy win um, as well, because you can see the skin. So you don't even have to touch the patient. 
You don't even have to get close up and put a stethoscope on or anything. You've got it right in front of you. It's all there. You just need to have a good look at it. I think I'd have been one of the very few trainees that was delighted to get a skin station. <laughs> but I know it puts a fear on quite a few other people. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll go on to talk about this later on in the record, but it could come up in pretty much any station. But certainly, obviously, you can see the skin in every single station, regardless of what you're doing. Yeah, indeed. And I think even back to like your really early med student days when it was like, look at the patient, you know, look at them straight away. Because if there might be some signs there, if they've got their legs out, you know, there might be some hint at vascular disease straight before you've even um, started your, you know, examination. So just take a couple of seconds, as we were always told, you know, from the very beginning. Yeah, absolutely. The end of the bedogram. And and not only that, Naomi is also going to be uh, the, the next contestant on our semi-regular feature, which is Reg Against the Machine. <laughs> this, is the, this is the quiz where our registrar guests take on a completely random quiz topic, which is in some loose way connected to either them or their topic for the episode. Uh, but we will find out what topic <laughs> Naomi has to tackle it when we come to that at the end of the show. So for next... I'm not sure I this time but okay we'll go with it <laughs> we'll find out on uh, about that at the end of the show but for now let's get into our conversation on dermatology in paces so naomi if we start off nice and broad for our listeners it may be that not many of our listeners will focus on dermatology as a particularly central topic in their paces revision but it is something like we've said that can be applied or is can be relevant to any number of the stations which you might encounter. And so I wonder if we can just start off saying in terms of a broad brushstrokes approach at a patient complaining of a dermatological condition or con concerned about particular uh, skin abnormalities, how do you structure your approach in these patients, which may be applicable in paces, but may also be applicable in day-to-day -day clinical practice? Yeah, I think, firstly, don't panic. So if you see something that's a skin problem, don't panic. Just be have a really sort of consistent pattern that you're going to follow. And remember that you're looking at the skin as a whole. So it's not just the sort of the skin on the body, trunk and limbs, etc. But you're thinking of sort of the extensions of skin, so the hair, nail, mucosa as well. Um, so when you're starting to look at the patient, a bit of dignity, you're always going to get points in paces um, for making sure the patient's comfortable. So, you know, I'd like to look at your skin. I'm going to need to expose you in these areas, but we'll work around that if you feel uncomfortable. You know, that's the good start. Um, and then I suppose you want to be thinking about the site of these lesions so or, or skin problems. So is it localized to a certain area? Can you say it's like widespread? Is it that you do need to look at all the skin or is it, you know, a certain area? So think about the site um, that you're going to be looking at that they're complaining about. Um, and then also just start really early on thinking about the colour. I know um, visual stuff in dermatology we love. Um, but is this a red rash? Is it, you know, actually you've got lesions that are very bullous and there's changes there. And also you can tell quite quickly on it whether this is like an acute or a chronic problem. So something that has come up quickly, you're going to recognise that because you're not going to have, you know, blisters that are really tense that are going to have been there for six months. You might have the few scattered ones, but actually you're going to have sort of old erosions and things like that. So a few clues straight away. And then you can always comment on surface change, whether the scale, crust or anything like that. So I think just a really clear system of where you're looking for, to start with. The colour is quite a simple one. Um, does it look acute or chronic and is there surface change and I, then I think you can then go on to all your extended things you know thinking hair nails mucosa as a secondary comment 
Yeah, fantastic. And Naomi, I want, I want to pose one thing to you, which was an adage that was said to me by a GP with a specialist interest in dermatology. This was during my foundation program when I had a rotation in GP. And this uh, GP with a specialist interest in derm said, dermatology is no different to any other medical specialty. You always start with taking the history. He said, uh, doctors early in their training with skin problems can jump into saying, oh, well, let's just have a look at it and see. But actually, how much of a, a history taking of the skin lesion development or the, the history of uh, the development of the skin problem is, is important to contributing to the diagnosis? Yeah, I think that it is like so important with the history of the patient. So it sounds obvious and patients will certainly tell you things that you don't expect to hear in the history and they love to come up with their own things so just take that with a pinch of salt you know like this is definitely related to the fact that I changed my washing powder two days ago probably not um but certainly the time scale of rashes is really important and they will tell you the symptoms that come with the rash which often will give you a clue to what else might be going on elsewhere um so a really good history I know you don't have <clears throat> pardon me that long in paces um, but if you've got chance on one of the stations where it is a history, then just have a really systematic approach. And it is following, you know, the very basics of presenting complaint and following in that sort of system. Absolutely. But, you know, with the new PACES 2023 format, with the clinical consultations now being 15 minutes, this is one of those where they probably do now have time to take a, a fuller history and perform a more detailed examination than they did when it was uh, just eight minutes long. So, yeah, this is the type of thing where examiners will want you to be absolutely on point. Yeah, no, it's fine. I was going to say there's a few symptoms that you do really need to think about with um, asking a history as well for skin problems. Um, and patients will generally freely give you these. So itch and when the itch happens, we love itchy rashes. Painful rashes, we obviously worry about in terms of anything acute um, and any then prodromes, so whether they've been unwell previously. So you are thinking of an acute history, but if there's chronic rashes there, just go a little bit deeper into the, the history as well. One of the other things I wanted to... Uh approach with you as well is is distribution of any rash or, or skin lesions does that help us differentiate between something which is multi-systemic you might say compared to something which is unilateral or only affecting one limb or one area of the body does that help us at all in, in when we're taking our history from the, from our patient yeah i think i definitely think distribution is really important the ones we will always sort of know about is your psoriasis type rashes where you, you know, typically you get them on your extensor surfaces, the same with dermatitis petiformis, we might be thinking more, you know, elbows, buttocks and things like that. And then if we're thinking of drug rashes as well, you're thinking of something that is affecting all the, um, the skin. And then you'll be thinking about sort of mucosal involvement as well. So yeah, sort of a more infective point of view as well you might be thinking of dermatomal problems so yeah your shingles um so your shingles would be dermatomal so it'd be unilateral um, and then it would be sort of just describing the lesions that were there as well so is it that you've got blisters is it that you've got vesicles are they localized to one area um, so these can be the clues and like i said before you know is it just something that's lower legs because then we're thinking of more of a chronic venous sort of changes so certainly have a little look at where they are distributed. And I think that is, that is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing which is going to be really important as well is your accurate description of the, the lesions that you see. So I wonder if we can just go through some sort of basic definitions for those of us who are less dermatologically minded in terms of describing skin lesions. There's many different terms, some of which we've already come across, blisters, vesicles, patches, papules, and, you know, all of these things can 
sound quite intimidating but i wonder if you have any can you can you shed any light or run through some of the common definitions for these skin uh, ailments if, if you can part of this is a little bit of seeing and then describing because the, the more that you sort of see and describe yes you would you're going to get easier um so i suppose macules everything is referred to dermatology as macular papular um <laughs> no matter what it is like it's always macular papular when we see it it's very rarely macular papular so a macule is less than a centimetre. And then patches, when we're talking about that, is greater than a centimetre in diameter, whereas a papule is less than a centimetre and a nodule is a thicker, sort of greater than a centimetre. So you're thinking about whether it's raised or flat. Um, and then a plaque would be greater than a, cent- uh, a centimetre in diameter with some thickness to it as well. And then another one would be thinking about your fluid-filled lesions. So like you mentioned, the vesicles, the bullae or the pustules. And um, so vesicles are the very tiny, you know, we often describe them in clusters when you get sort of a hepatic infection or cold sore, but your bullae are the big tensor lesions that are greater than a centimetre. And then your pustules are your little sort of pus-filled. You've all seen a pustule, quite satisfying, I always think, when you see a pustule, um, usually less than one centimetre. Um, so I think those three sort of areas, whether they're flat, raised, or fluid-filled lesions, are quite useful. We talk about sort of breakages of the skin, so think about your ulcers, which are sort of larger areas with lots of, lots of the epidermis and the dermis, whereas an erosion is probably just the um, epidermis loss only, so it's a bit more superficial. Yeah, fantastic. And so when you come to describe this to the to the examiners, if you if you do end up describing it, important obviously to use the the correct terminology to make it clear that you're you're confident in assessing these types of skin uh, skin problems. And so Naomi, the next thing was we, we had a, a a particular list of sort of dermatological uh, problems which might make their way into paces some of the ideas that I came up with initially you've expanded on and truthfully I think your list is probably more applicable and better than mine so why don't we start off with with your list what was the first condition on your list which you wanted to uh, discuss for the benefit of the listeners yeah I thought try to think about it a little bit in how systems might work and how you might think of what system has been affected and um, so you'd want to have sort of thinking about an autoimmune or an inflammatory or infective problems and then you might be thinking later on sort of a drug-related problems or even a malignancy. I don't think you'll be getting necessarily a skin cancer. It might be a skin cancer history, but not quite as likely. But if we're thinking of the skin in systemic disease and something autoimmune or inflammatory, so an inflammatory condition that might come up, let's say, in respiratory or a skin, skin exam would be sarcoid. And so I think that would be maybe a good place to start. <clears throat> so sarcoid is obviously like an inflammatory disease. And it, as I say, it might present in a respiratory history, you've had shortness of breath, and then you notice some skin changes. And so you'd be looking for the granulomas. So the nice thing is, you know, that if we're talking about respiratory history, granulomas in the lungs, well, on the skin, you can probably see them. So you can get um, a good idea from that. And they, these tender sort of tender lumps and patches And they can actually be quite widespread, so you can get them on the legs and arms. Annoyingly, they kind of can come in many forms. So it can be that they're macules, papules, patches, plaques. um, But they often have this sort of red, brown, orange appearance, and they're quite distinctive. The ones that might be able to come into exams, because they can be quite stable, in a sense, to be examined, might be the lupus pernia patients, where you get this sort of mauve or purple um, plaque on the nose or cheeks. Um, so if you see that in a patient, you might then be thinking, OK, it's a respiratory station, but I've got a symptom here that might be in keeping with um, cutaneous sarcoid. So that'd be quite useful. And then you could, I think we sort of discussed before about things that we have in our, you know, that are useful in dermatology. We can biopsy. So biopsy in the skin, don't forget when you're describing how you might investigate this, 
we can biopsy from the skin and you don't have to go and take a big chunk out of somebody's lung, which is always quite useful. Um, and then you could do further examination. So you'd want to get a bit of the skin, take a punch biopsy, look for any granulomas or even an incisional biopsy. But then you'd be thinking more of like an MDT approach with these patients. So, you know, your immunosuppression um, further down the line. Yeah, brilliant. And I guess one thing which might be important is, does does lupus pernia or any of the cutaneous sarcoid signs, could they occur well before the onset of symptoms of pulmonary sarcoid or could they occur after that or is it a you know is it one of those things which which is just very variable in, in and in fact it could happen at any point in the disease course i think it's quite variable certainly we've seen patients who have lupus pernia that then we sort of hunt for cutaneous sarco- uh, sorry elsewhere but it's also been the other way around so we've had patients that have you know already got a sarcoid diagnosis and then we get a referral to say oh they've now got this strange skin lesion it's sort of a six and two threes both way both way around we certainly see um, that as well yeah exactly and one of the things which i don't know if we'll come on to talk in more in detail about uh later but one of the signs which i had on my list was erythema nodosum which is one of the signs that we also see in sarcoid as well so i don't know do you think it's best if we discuss that now naomi or should we discuss that a bit later yeah yeah i mean erythema nodosum is so sort of non-specific in a way but it's always worth us sort of thinking about it um so erythema nodosum typically comes on your lower legs you get these really sort of painful, tender lumps. Um, and patients generally will have sort of a prodrome. So they might have had a fever or malaise that um, came with it. But as I say, they are usually on the shin. So it's quite obvious when a patient comes in and tells you that. And because it's sort of, of the deeper, the fat layers that are ha- having the inflammation in them, they will be really quite tender because you're getting almost like a paniculitis-like picture. Um, so if they're tender and painful lumps on the lower legs, certainly be thinking of erythema nodosum. Um, but then there's just so many causes. <laughs> so it's one of those things where, yes, there's a clinical sign, but then it's trying to get to the bottom of why. And sometimes it can also just be, you know, idiopathic, unknowingly. But there's just so many causes. So, you know, thinking of, is, has there been a recent infection? Often that's when we see it in children. Is there something inflammatory elsewhere? You know, your ulcerative colitis, your Crohn's. Like we said, sarcoid, um, <laughs> that can also bring it on. And then you're thinking more of like med- medications as well. Sometimes we do see um, in that. So erythema nodosum is a s- sort of a symptom and a sign really of there might be something else going on. That's fantastic. And uh, it's at this point where I have to get out one of my favorite uh, acronyms from my medical school days, which is the causes of erythema nodosum. And we haven't covered this yet on the podcast. I've been waiting for the day. This is your moment. <laughs> <laughs> but my uh my acronym for causes of erythema nodosum is it's nodosum but it's uh backwards so i start with the m and go that way so mycobacterium tuberculosis is the m u is for ulcerative colitis or crohn's so inflammatory bowel disease s is for sarcoid as we discussed uh the o i've got as the oral contraceptive pill medications i'm all right i've, I've yep. ticked all these so far well d is for other drugs well d or yeah drug drug induced damn it i think o was for other infection as well so i think group a strep is was was one of those yeah, good one. yeah. and uh and then the n was uh, it's tenuous but it's n for nurturing or pregnancy <laughs> all right okay i don't think that was one that i'd put on my list but there we are you've taught me today <laughs> well if the listeners come into a, a sticky spot and they haven't learned any causes of erythema nodosum, just uh, remember nodosum backwards and just go with that. 
because that won't take you long in the exam to stop. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's, it's actually a good system, not something I thought about before. Perfect. So always important to think of the, well, the symptoms of those conditions and probe, probe after them. So... So we've talked about sarcoid, we've talked about erythema nodosum. Yeah, they were probably sort of inflammatory ones, weren't they? So then I was thinking of sort of a systemic autoimmune. I thought we might just massively jump. Um, so I thought something inflammatory and then something autoimmune that might come up. So I was going to talk about systemic lupus erythematosus, SLE, because I also know that people get a bit scared of this and might want to think about it pre-exam. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the important things with this is, or because I did actually have SLE on my list, and the, one of the first things that I came across in looking at SLE is that 80% of cases have a form of skin involvement. Yeah. So, you know, dermatology, we love a bit of SLE, don't we? So I think the clue as well is in the title. So SLE, systemic. So you're thinking of a systemic problem. So if you do get this in exam, especially if you get it in one of the longer cases, do a really quick review of all systems and see what else could be going on for this patient if they've got a rash. Um, I suppose the typical one that we all learn about is the butterfly rash. So that's sort of that erythema across the cheeks, nose, and it's got this sort of fine scale to it as well, but not that scale of psoriasis. It's a much finer scale that's on the surface. So don't think of anything that's sort of really stuck on like your psoriasis rash. Um, and it usually can be in a photo distributed photo distribution as well. So, you know, upper chest. Sometimes I have that really typical V sign where the clothing has allowed there to be exposure to the sun. And then you also, when we sort of started talking about derma, derma history, you'd be thinking of the other systems as well from a skin point of view. So there's often often some hair loss as well. Be thinking of the nails, so be having a look at the nail beds for any sort of nail fold changes. And they might also have chillblains and rainouts as well. So that, that real sort of systemic inflammatory um, problem going on. Yeah, fantastic. And actually, we not that long ago did an episode on systemic sclerosis as well so obviously that comes with uh, skin changes skin tightening and and things of that nature so that's probably to be mentioned in the autoimmune sphere exactly yeah a lovely differential as well and i suppose that was under your rheumatology and um, the hat was it yeah um yeah certainly certainly them to think about but then and aside from that would be to think about your subacute lupus so that's where you sort of get a similar looking rash but you wouldn't be getting the multi-system problems that you would be in SLE. So that's just a, another differential just to add in there. Um, there is definitely a scoring criteria for SLE, which has completely just gone out of my head. And I think it's the American scoring system. Um, so if everybody goes and has a little look at that, it's quite useful to know exactly how much you have to score in order for it to be an SLE diagnosis. But the um, de definitively you need an ANA positive when you're doing your blood screening. Um, so always, if you're lost for anything to say and you think it might be SLE, always go with ANA. Absolutely. Fantastic. And one thing I wanted to ask, you as well, Naomi, is, is the appearance of discoid lupus. So how does that normally look? Because I think that is one of the sort of diagnostic criteria, but I, I don't think I've seen it actually in my clinical practice. So I don't know if you've seen it or, or how you typically describe the discoid lupus appearance. Yeah, so discoid lupus um, follows a bit more of a benign course in your um, SLE. So it might be that these things have been grumbling along for a while. And nicely, it's in the title. So it's disc-like. So it can be like coin-sized. Coin and it's sort of a well-defined scaly plaque. Um, and it's usually in sun-exposed areas, definitely females more than males. So as soon as you say discoid lupus, I start thinking of sort of my middle-aged 
middle-aged, like 40-ish, 40-year-old females, and with these sort of discs of, yeah, a really scaly plaque. And certainly you get can get hair loss and things as well with that. So that's what I'd be thinking with a disc called lupus. And it is just a benign, more benign course. And so it's treating the, the lesions themselves or systemic treatment as well. And with the treatment of these inflammatory conditions, does the, do the cutaneous uh, manifestations uh, get treated just as well with the immunosuppressive treatment of the you know umbrella condition, or do or do they require uh, specific uh, therapies, emollients, or topical treatments from a dermatological perspective? I mean, I'm a dermatologist, so if I don't talk about topical steroids at some point in this podcast, I've really let my side down. (laughs) (laughs) We need to talk topical steroids. Um, But certainly you want to be treating, if there's a systemic problem, you're going to treat the systemic, you know, underlying cause. However, the skin problems, it's the bit that people see of you. It's the bit that the patient doesn't like because, you know, they've got this rash on their face. So, yeah, we treat that in its own right as well. And often the systemic treatment will improve the rash. But equally, you can treat the rash as as it is. So, yeah, topical steroids are really useful in these cases. So, you know, building up on the steroid ladder so that the, you know, to reach the significant impact that we want. Um, Moisturising, really useful. So always think the basics are, are good in these conditions. But also, these patients have photosensitive rashes. So unless you can mention sun creams, you've sort of... You know, you've, you've missed missed the boat with it. So you need to be telling patients to be using high factor sun creams as well if they've got anything that suggests a photosensitive rash, just to make sure that then that's not something obvious that you you've sort of missed. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Was there anything else you wanted to say about SLE in particular? I think it was. I mainly just wanted to raise those two things. So sarcoid and SLE, I think, are the two two quite systemic problems um, that you would then have already in your formulary of what you're thinking. You would say, well, it could be a you know an inflammatory problem. It could be an autoimmune problem, and that then will guide you in discussion when you when you know when it comes to the end. So I think having a system to describe things is um, define things is useful. Yeah, absolutely. What was next on your list, Naomi? I've got, I've still got a couple. I I wondered about talking about maybe a vasculitis at this point, because um, that just presents in a slightly different way to a scaly rash, um, and again, is a multi-system problem. So then we could we could go through that. Yeah, let's let's do it. Okay, so vasculitis. So it's a nice one because you know that it's blood vessels. It's again, clues are in the title most of the time with dermatology. And most of the time, it's sort of immune complex driven problem that's going to cause this leakage and inflammation from the blood vessels. And that's why you really do get these non blanching, you know, typical purpuric rashes, because you have just got leakage into the skin from those vessels. So it's a nice skin presentation that is showing you an inflammatory problem elsewhere so i think it's a good another one to good move to move on to and it also gives you a massive plethora of causes so it's a great for a discussion because you can go through have you got another mnemonic for me that you're going to give me um so causes of vasculitis you can have your system have your systems that are great in paces so could this be an infection is this a drug related problem is this sort of a collagen-based vascular disease? You know, are we thinking it's related to SLE or rheumatoid arthritis? Um, is it idiopathic? Sometimes, unfortunately, it might just be there and go away. Or is this actually more of a problem with um, maybe you know, blood disorders? So you're getting your cryoglobulinopathies or um, anemias and things like that. So um, I suppose I should probably talk about how it presents from my, a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, go for it. Um, So lots of things get referred as vasculitis that 
do have that really typical sort of purplish vascular looking appearance and certainly on the lower legs we see it really commonly um, and it can be a bit of a giveaway as to the site of the vessels that have been affected but also the size of the vessels so in the superficial derm or sort of mid dermis you're getting that more polymorphic rash with palpable purpura um, and also a sort of the more macular papula element of it but certainly just you need to have a good feel of that rash is there anything that is palpable that is non-blanching and that gives you an idea that it can be sort of more your leukocytoclastic vasculitis or your HSP um, sort of more superficially. If you're then thinking of the levidoid changes so that's levidoid just to describe is where you get that sort of lacy network um, on the skin you know, levido reticularis, you might be thinking that this is sort of a deeper dermis, it's sort of towards a subcutaneous fat. And that's what you can get with your sort of polyarteritis nodosum. Mm-hmm. Um, and often these things can then ulcerate as well, because you've obviously got breakdown and inflammation deeper, deeper down, and it can be more painful. So you get nodules and ulcers. And then you might be thinking of what we've discussed before, so of your erythema nodosum, sort of paniculitis type things where you do get more of a nodular vasculitis where your arteries and veins are both um, affected and that's that of the subcutaneous fat layers as well. So just be aware that vasculitis does appear in that typical way, but you know, you can sort of from the, the skin presentations get a bit of a clue as to what is going on. And what do you think is the, or in your experience, what do you, do you often get a diagnosis in these patients of a vasculitic rash? Because I think uh, as, as medics on the medical take, when we see a patient presenting with this, you know, they, they often come in under sort of ambulatory care or the same day emergency care when the GPs just sort of like, oh, you know, it's come up, it looks vasculitic, I think they need a workup. And then we're sort of like, well, oh, right, okay, well, good luck trying to get a dermatologist down to same day emergency care to come and take a look at a rash. <laughs> so with these patients, often they just get a set of bloods, maybe a chest x-ray, and, and then we say, you know, we need to get you into a derm clinic. How often do you actually get a, a diagnosis for these patients? Or is it, you know, is it a case of just wait and see what develops? Yeah, I think certainly it's a, the development of the rash that will give us a clue as well. It is worth at that acute point doing the vasculitic screen, though it's a little bit of a nuisance. It's worth doing your vasculitic screen budge just so we've got it at the time of presentation. But I think one of the main things that we worry about is, yes, we can see what's going on in the skin, but is this actually systemic? So we would always just encourage you to check the kidneys and also do urine dip to make sure that there's no sort of casts and hematuria going on. And that's when you'd want to refer to like renal team and things. Um, it's probably worth doing an infectious diseases screen as well at that point, just because we've got it as a baseline. And if they're presenting with it and it looks vasculitic, that's then been ruled out as such. And then when we see them back, if it doesn't, you know, massively break down and we need to get them on steroids, we've got that pre that initial screen so we can go, well, actually, you know, at this at the point you presented, it was, you know, everything was negative or whatever. Um, but I think then it's important to know we then repeat the use and ease because actually it might be that the kidney involvement has been a bit more delayed. So we would repeat the use and ease in sort of three months' time just to make sure there's no um, significant change in the renal function. I think the one thing that people always ask us to do is a skin biopsy. The jury is out a little bit on this. Um, We get pushed to do it quite a lot, but actually if it's vasculitic and it looks vasculitic, taking a skin biopsy is just going to tell you that it's vasculitis and not necessarily the cause. Sometimes if we take a really, really deep biopsy, we might find out that the vessels are affected deeper down. But most of the time, actually, it just says, yes, there's inflammation in the vessels. Please find out why. And it's one of those typical clinical correlation comments on histology that you slightly dread. It must be it must be very difficult when you're faced with that question of 
to biopsy or not because it's uh, if it looks vasculitic and it smells vasculitic, it's probably vasculitic. And exactly what else is it going to add to the diagnostic uh, problem? And I do, I suppose the thing would be to say, well, if you've got a vasculitis presenting on your skin versus in your kidneys, well, actually your skin is accessible and you don't have to stick a needle through any fairly major organs to get to it. So actually, if we are getting to that point where there looks like there's sort of renal involvement or anything else, yes, we're happy. We won't just say no. Yeah, I think the jury's out. So there might be other people listening that know a bit more about, you know, the spectrum of vasculitis that say, oh, no, everybody gets one. Um, but certainly the, I think it's a decision at the point in time and of the patient. You know, I've seen... 10 patients recently and biopsied one. So that gives you a clue as to how often we're doing. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. So what else was next on your uh, on your list, Naomi, of topics that you thought it would be important to cover? <laughs> yeah, there was a few. And I'm glad to say that I have got quite a bit of damn that I think is important. Um, so dermatomyositis was the other one I think I mentioned, just because it's an inflammatory problem where you might get the skin presentation, but then you can go down a really nice history of, well, what else was going on? Where did you have problems with your muscles? You know, everything about sitting and standing and pain in the deep muscles. So dermatomyositis. And there's, again thinking of differentials there's loads of differentials that would really help you if you had your system um, to run through and then you sound like you know what you're talking about um, so from a skin point of view of dermatomyositis there's a few things that textbook wise you should get and often patients do present um, fairly typically with these um, so it's that heliotropic rash on the face so uh, it's once you've seen it once and I always encourage people to go and look at textbooks with dermatology because it's so visual once you've seen dermatomyositis once or twice, you're like, oh, you see a patient with dermatomyositis walking, you almost take the diagnosis there and then. But they have this sort of violet, dusky red appearance to their, and it affects their eyelids, their cheeks, and it's usually um, associated with edema. So they're usually quite, like, come in with really quite swollen faces. And importantly, it can affect the nasolabial folds as well. So it's sort of all across in that, kind of like the butterfly distribution that you get with SLE as well. You get with this heliotropic rash, but eyelids are often involved. So that's one of the key signs. I suppose we always talk about the shawl signs, so that you know across the upper back, um, as if you've had a shawl laid over. And it's that sort of red, reddy, purpley appearance. Again, it can be really quite uncomfortable for um, patients. And again, the V sign that we talked about in SLE, so as if they've been wearing a T-shirt and you've got the redness there. And then hands as well. So you want to be looking at the nail folds. So is there any dilatation of the capillaries? Um, and thinking about the mechanics hands. So that's sort of the cracked lines um, as if they've been working on a car, um, but they come in with this sort of really typical rash. And then your gotrans papules as well. So you have these sort of patches often over the, the knuckles, um, patches and uh, macules over the knuckles, but you also get them on the elbows and the flexural elements as well, sort of over the knees. So a fairly distinctive rash that can then be obvious that there's another systemic problem going on. Yeah, fantastic. What a run through. <laughs> yeah, there's loads of little nice words in dermatology that you once you learn the system, you can you can sound like you know a lot, but you don't actually know that much. Yeah. And, and the difficulty is with stuff like this is that whilst there's also obviously a rheumatological angle, you do have to approach it from, uh, from both sides because it, it will depend on exactly what or how symptomatic the patient is and what their symptoms are uh, in order for you to sort of address their concerns adequately. Yeah, and 
certainly often the skin side of things when patients come in and aren't able to stand and are really weak sort of go by the by a little bit but it can actually be really quite debilitating if they've got this like really significant facial edema and pain and that can be the bit that patients really complain about um, so we are quite important when it comes to these things um, and then I suppose, you know, you're thinking again, I keep banging on about it, but it's a multi-system problem. And actually the dermatologists don't really do the biopsying of these rashes. Um, it's more to do with sort of your muscle biopsies and MRIs and things I think that you do with your dermatomyositis. Um, but there now is a really nice dermatomyositis screen. I think most hospitals have, and it's basically sort of, you just send off and say a dermatomyositis screen and they it comes back with this huge sort of list of things that it can and could and couldn't be um so it's just nice to have, have in your back pocket that if you think it might be dermatomyositis you don't even need to know all, all of your autoantibodies you can just throw that in and uh, hope for the best dermatomyositis yeah, screen <laughs> exactly like your vasculitis <laughs> screen you'll, you'll sound like you know what you're on about bit of a get out of jail free card if you ask me <laughs> indeed brilliant so uh, dermatomyositis, we've crossed off. What else was on the list? I've still got a few of the ones that are left on mine, but I'm, I'm anxious to hear what's what's still left on yours, Naomi. <laughs> so I've just got a few more. Some of them are more just signs that you'd be thinking of in other problems. So I just, I'll just i run through a few of things to think about. And it's always really important with dermatology, go and have a look at pictures because I can describe things to the sort of for days. But unless you sort of know and have seen these pictures and the thing that I would go to would be like Dermnet NZ or the BAD has inf like patient information leaflets. You can find really good pictures, but certainly Dermnet NZ, the go-to place. So a few of the systemic or the presenting problems with skin that I would be thinking about. So when you're thinking of lower legs, so you, lower legs are really easy to get to. So just be thinking of all of the problems that might present in lower legs that give you a clue elsewhere. So you've got sort of your venous, your arterial problems, your really chronic ed edematous patients that will sort of help in your cardiac history, um, your chronic venous insufficiency and also then is there any obvious sort of venous harvesting these are things that you can comment on from a skin point of view but are also going to point you towards other diagnoses and then be thinking about with your neuropathies and and sort of ulcers on the lower legs just know how like we were saying before how to describe your ulcers so is it like literally just the epidermis that's affected is it really superficial um so be thinking when you're thinking of your lower legs about all of these differentials so I feel that was a bit broad stroke about legs, but maybe acanthosis nigricans, a bit of a description of that. Um, so that's where you're getting that velvety brown skin around your neck. The thing that, you, that we bang home about is sort of if patients are over 40, be thinking about other occult malignancies that might not have been picked up. Or actually, if it's a station where it is, you know, a malignancy, if they've had a lobectomy or something, um, comment on acanthosis nigricans, you know, it might be a little tick in the box that otherwise you wouldn't have got. Um, and that can also then hop towards your insulin resistance patients as well. Um, so I think that is a useful one. And then pre-tibial myxedema, have, we haven't spoken about that, have we? Um, so again, these are just things that know how they appear so that if they were there, you could then comment on them. And it might just help you sort of be guided towards the diagnosis as well. So that's where you get those sort of wa waxy plaques and nodules on the anterior skin with a sort of powder orange is what they always refer to, isn't it, as well? Um, so be thinking of your thyroid patients um, in that sense. And then I'll do one last one and then we can have a little chat, but uh, maybe necrobiosis lipoidica, where you get those sort of really well-defined round plaques on the shins and which are sort of mauve brown with telangiectatic change. 
And that's in around sort of 70% of diabetic patients. Um, so it's worth if you're doing sort of an endocrine history um, to be thinking about that. But interestingly, it doesn't really correlate with diabetes control. So you can have terrible necrosis, lipoidica, but actually your diabetic control is fine. So just a little interesting fact for you. Naomi, that's fantastic. Honestly, what a run through of everything. Well, so many different conditions that could be seen in, in paces. There's only a couple of other things I think we were planning on talking about. And one of those was pyoderma gangrenosum, which is often used in sort of the same sentence as erythemonodosum, but probably because they're both seen in inflammatory bowel disease, but they are different things. So, so I wonder if you can expand a bit on pyoderma gangrenosum for us. Yeah, so pyoderma gangrenosum is often more ulcer-like. So when you're talking of erythema nodosum, you're thinking nodosum is nodules, um, whereas gangrenosum, you, you've got ul- there's going to be ulceration. And often it's pretty impressive. It's really quite rapidly growing. You get those really typical, we call it a violaceous ulcer. So they have this like purplish edge that is so distinctive of PG when you know it. You almost can't think of anything else as soon as you've seen it. But it also has this like really yellow honeycomb-like base, sort of a purinant base as well. Um, and you can get them anywhere. I always, when I was sort of first learning about it, thought it was always lower legs, but you can get PG anyway. We've had some horrible pa- you know, back uh, patients with them on their back, and they are really quite resistant to treatment at times as well. It's all it's thinking of pa- uh, patients, sorry, with underlying other problems when you see them with pg so it can be secondary to trauma it can be that they, you know there's been a trauma there and then they get this awful sort of neutrophilic infiltrated ulceration but there is often i think uh, you said something around 50 percent of patients which yeah that doesn't surprise me that there's some other systemic involvement as well and um, so again a nice little system so usually it's something inflammatory so ulcerative colitis crohn's uh, rheumatoid arthritis and then your cancers as well so your myelomas you can get this with as well so you'd be thinking of that sort of system of inflammatory and malignancy if you're seeing pg but they they can be really resistant to treatment i think one of the important things here is we do sometimes biopsy just to get the diagnosis but clinically they're so distinctive and often biopsying can actually open up a can of worms because you've presented another trauma and it can then also around the site so if we are convinced and there's a convincing history and presentation of PG, we just treat it as such. Um, and only if needed, do we get that sort of typical skin biopsy along the way. And can I ask, what, what's the normal or what's the usual treatment for pyoderma, especially if, if it's quite rapidly progressive? I imagine patients will want it sort of quite aggressively treated as well. So what's the usual regime for, for treating it? Yes, another topical steroids comment. So topical steroids, <laughs> we usually go really, really quite hard with them. Um, like dermivate at top, sort of top level because there's so much exudate as well it usually is that they're very much sort of these horrible discharging they just look very sloppy you know they're really sort of there's so much sort of n- nastiness coming away from them for want of a better word um so then we can you do then have to immunosuppress as well so you can be thinking of sort of systemic steroids high dose steroids which you wouldn't want patients on longer term. Um, and then our steroid sparing agents that we sort of use commonly would be like methotrexate and cyclosporin, et cetera. Um, usually we try and sort of get on top of it with oral steroids and then wean quickly down. Um, so high dose oral steroids and then topical steroids alongside. Um, sometimes it can be a predictor of the other issue and how that is, you know, the inflammatory bowel, for example, it can be predicted that the activity of that is quite significant. So we'd want it to be an MDT approach um, if we think it's PG, 
um, that's progressing. And then even further down the line, we've se- I've seen patients, you know, what needing rituximab and things like that because it just can be so treatment resistant. Um, but yeah, immunosuppression is one of the key ones. I also particularly like the way that you, you I, I was imagining you doing a fist bump on the other end of the uh, <laughs> Zoom call. Yes, another dermavate, <laughs> another dermavate hit. The top of the steroids on, we are sorted. <laughs> Great. And uh, so, Naomi, we've sort of mentioned a lot of conditions which could come up, but you also wanted to talk about nails, didn't you? Yeah, so don't forget nails. So nails is part of your skin examination as well. Um, it's sort of the extension, isn't it? And also hair. We haven't said much about hair, but just think, be thinking about if patients have got, you know, thinning of hair, hair loss, <clears throat> pardon me, anything like that, that it might be um, part of your systemic problem. So think about hair, but think about nails. Um, it's always nice to have in your you know, repertoire, a few words that make you sound like you know what you're talking about with nails. So when you're talking about your lifting of the nails, you're talking about onycholysis. So if you're thinking of your psoriasis patients, also thyroid disease and any circulatory problems where you've got sort of reduced distal perfusion, you can get onycholysis as well. I'm sure we all learnt in med school clubbing. So yeah, it's another nail sign that um, sort of points us towards a respiratory problem or even underlying malignancy. But then also coionicia, so you've got those spoon-shaped nails. Um, you can be thinking of deficiencies, so iron deficiency, anemia, or even just of chronic disease, you can get coionicia. So if you're kind of lost on clinical signs, have a little look at the nails and see if there's any changes there. It might get you a few extra points. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant, Naomi. And what, what a uh, whistle-stop tour we've had through um, all aspects of dermatology. But I think we've come to the end of the clinical part of the episode, but that is not the end because we still need uh, you to tackle this week's quiz in Reg Against the Machine. It's at this point in the show that I plug our partners past test, the leaders in online revision resources for your paces, as well as the sources which Naomi has signposted you to in this episode, you can find a whole host of dermatology images to quiz yourself on during your paces preparation. And all you need to do to get access is to sign up by clicking any of the links in the show notes. But for now, let's get into Reg Against the Machine. Welcome to our regular feature, Reg Against the Machine. This is the quiz where our registrar guests take on a quiz on a randomly chosen topic spat out by my quiz generating machine, which I have spaffed my study budget on. So the way this works, Naomi, is I crank the handle on the machine. It gives us it gives us a topic which is loosely related in some way to either you or the uh, topic of discussion. There's 10 quickfire questions. There's 20 points up for grabs. You get two points if you get it without the multiple choice options. But if you need multiple choice options and you get it right after that, it's one point. So there's 20 points up for grabs for 10 quickfire questions. Right, okay. So all we have to do now is to crank the handle on the machine and see what topic gets spat out for you. And the topic it spat out is skin in popular culture. Hey, wow. Okay. What are the chances? <laughs> how how do you feel your chances are? If you do skin for a day job, do you routinely avoid it in the rest of your uh, in the rest of your popular culture life uh, just to stop you thinking of skin outside of work? 
pretty much. Yeah, it's one of the things I don't look into on my downtime, but let's go for it. Brilliant. Okay, question number one. Which teen drama British TV series first aired in 2007 on E4 uh, following a group of teenagers based in Bristol and covered controversial storylines including dysfunctional families, sexuality and substance abuse? Is it Skins? It is Skins. That's two points. She's on the board. What is the name of the school principal in The Simpsons? It's supposed to be something skin related, right? Um... Is this something skin Skinner? I'll give it to you. It's Principal Skinner. Yes. I'll give it to you for two points. Okay, question number three. Your skin, yeah, your skin and bone is a lyric from which Coldplay song? Um, should I sing it? Um, is it like <laughs> yellow? It is yellow. 100% so far, three from three. Well, yeah. Which comedian Skinner worked in a double act with David Baddiel before releasing the song England's Coming Home in 1996? Oh gosh, I wouldn't know that one. Have you got clues? I could give you the multiple choice. Is it Frank Skinner? It's Frank Skinner. It is Frank Skinner. I don't need the other choices. It is Frank. (laughs) It is Frank Skinner and you get that for one point. Okay, we've got one. In the film The Silence of the Lambs, what is the name of the main antagonist the villain who through the film attempts to make a suit from human skin oh Hannibal Vector is it Hannibal well, actually, well truthfully he is the main villain so I feel like I've stitched you up there but that's not okay. to do He does, he's not the one who makes the suit from skin I'll give you the multiple choice because I, I, okay. because I feel hard done by telling you that the serial killer was the main villain when really Lecter is the main villain okay, so, okay. so the options are uh, this is the name of the serial killer. Uh, okay. Is it is it Dermot Gold? Right. Is it Buffalo Bill? Is it Jonathan Demi? Or is it George Clare? I would have no clue if I'm honest with you. I um, don't think I've ever watched it. Don't don't judge me. Um, George Clare. Buffalo Bill. I'm afraid. Is it Buffalo Bill? Okay, that was my like definitely not option. <laughs> so that's fine. Well, I feel I feel even worse now that you haven't actually seen the film. <laughs> It's all right. I did. I was doing so well. <laughs> Question number six: Which male artist released the song "Skinned" in 2017 that starts with the lyrics "When I heard that sound, when the walls came down, I was thinking about you, about you." Is it Rag and Bone Man? It is Rag and Bone Man. Yeah, I feel like and- I'm sounding all of a sudden like very cool. <laughs> Another two points on the board. Question number seven. Which world-famous Hollywood actor has the condition Dermatosis Papulosa Nigra? He has starred in numerous Hollywood movies, including The Shawshank Redemption, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, The Dark Knight Trilogy, and Bruce Almighty. I feel this is something I should know, but I really have no clue on this one. Go on, let's give multiple choice. Okay, is it A, Jim Carrey, B, Morgan Freeman, C, Ewan McGregor, or D, Arnold Schwarzenegger? I'm going to get Morgan Freeman. It is Morgan Freeman. Fine. That's all right. I'm done. I'm, I'm That's fine. <laughs> okay. Which Skinner? This is question number eight. Which Skinner was the front man of the streets? Famous for songs like Dry Your Eyes, Mate, Fit But You Know It, and Blinded By The Lights. You no, know, I used to love the streets when I was younger. Now we're going to have to go multiple choice again. Okay. Is it A, Tim Skinner, B, Mike Skinner, C, Jamie Skinner, or D, 
Tim Skinny. I mean, I think we're, we're down to two, really. Um, <laughs> Mike? Is it, Mike? <laughs> it is Mike Skinner. I'm not so bad. One more on the board. Question number nine. Which Irish TV presenter and radio broadcaster started his career presenting Big Brother's Little Brother <laughs> before rising to fame as host of The X Factor? He can now be seen gracing the sofa on This Morning on ITV. Well, I feel like it's Dermot O'Leary, but I don't know how that's skin related. It is Dermot Derm- It's Derm. That's O'Leary. Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 <Nira. laughs> I mean, the thing is, Naomi, I actually wrote this quiz quite a long time ago, and I, whilst reading the question, was trying to figure out the same thing. But there we are. Okay, last question. Question number 10. Which Marvel superhero from the X-Men franchise has the power to regenerate their skin and heal wounds rapidly, far more rapidly than normal people? I would not have a clue. I don't think I've watched Marvel. Um, So let's go for the options. You can always take the multiple choice. Is it A, Batman? B Spider-Man, C Wolverine, or D The Flash. Wolverine? It is Wolverine. Hey. And that leaves you with a total score of 14 out of 20, which I didn't think is bad considering right. you never watched never watched Science of the Lambs, never watched Wolverine, never watched anything <laughs> Marvel. Listened in some scenarios, clearly. Listeners, that only leaves us to say a huge thank you to our fantastic registrar guests. Dr. Naomi Jones. Naomi, it's been an absolute delight having you on the show today. No worries. You're very welcome. And listeners, that is the end of another show. Please don't forget to like, follow, subscribe to the show, or leave a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. We always love to hear from you, so please do give us a shout on our Twitter. That's at Prepaces Podcast or via the website. And if you really want to go above and beyond and support the show, you can do that at buymeacoffee.com slash Podcast. But for now, we are just about out of time. I've been Dr. Sam Williams. Thank you for listening. And we will see you next time on the Pre-Paces podcast.